So I'm going to start like this. For those of you who don't know me, um, you may think I look a lot like another guy who preaches here from time to time. My name is Ed Rumbold. Um, I am the brother of Doug. I may stand like this on the front just to make you feel like you're hearing Doug instead of me. Um, but either way, uh, I am from the Rumbold family, and uh, I'm back from Slovakia this summer and enjoying some freedom uh, from the masks, from the test, from the being locked in my house after 8 p.m. Um, I do want to say one quick announcement for my mom and my dad. So dad came home from the hospital, and mom and dad, thank you guys for your prayers, gifts, cards, really any way that you showed support to them. And I'll say, don't stop because they're, they're nowhere close to being where they need to be. Mom knows that, and Dad feels that. So they're home, but it's, it's not where it needs to be yet. And you guys have been a huge, huge blessing to them. So keep it going, and um, <clears throat> stop in, stop by. Uh, you probably don't understand what it's like to be feeling like you're, you're shut up at home until it happens or until you're around that more. So keep uh, Keep up with them, call them, visit them. I'd appreciate that and would appreciate that as well. And then one other quick thing is we're going to share on Wednesday night, and I'm only going to add to that announcement is bring your phone. I know it's not great to have a phone in sanctuary, but bring your phone because it's going to be a little bit interactive, and so if you have data or you can get on Wi-Fi, um, we'll, we'll do some things together that night. Um, this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So with that, let's get back to the beginning of the sermon. And you can see I've titled it Joy and Suffering. The first, yes, because who wouldn't want joy? And the second, like, I'd rather not have that. Like, let's not do that. So if you could just give me joy um, and just preach about that today, Ed, I would love that. And then we'll all go home, we'll feel happy, and it'll make it all the way to Monday until our suffering maybe kicks in again or some of the hard things kick in again. So I want to go through this. I am not for sure going to be able to cover the whole aspect of joy, of suffering. So if I don't hit your specific piece you were hoping to hear as you see this title, come talk to me afterwards. I don't know everything, but I do know a God that does, and we can look at the word together. Um, so let's read the scripture for today and get into it. So it comes uh, Philippians 1. This is these last four verses of the chapter. And it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together, as one for the gospel, for the for the faith of the gospel, without being <clears throat> without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to, but also to suffer for Him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Um, so as we start, I'm going to give you a very quick background to Philippians. Okay, There's a lot more that can be said, 
But to put it in context and so you understand what's coming, um, I need to give you just a short background because we're only taking four verses and I want you to know the context of where they come from. So uh, one of the key themes in Philippians is the joy of the Lord. And that sounds great. And actually, uh, in Philippians 3.1, Paul says, Furthermore, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Um, and you'll kind of understand a little more of coming back to this joy being a safeguard for uh, living in the Lord as we continue on. Paul is writing this from prison, so keep this in mind. Uh, he's writing this from prison in 62 AD, and Paul was instrumental in actually bringing and founding the church there in Philippi. And actually, uh, as I was reading through some of the commentators, he said, Paul might have had the most tender heart for the Philippian church. Um, I don't know all the reasons why, uh, but often he recalls them um, with more tenderness than some of the other churches. And then the last thing is, is how did Paul get there? You know, he has his missionary journeys. Um, and also, if you go back in Acts to chapter 16, and we'll go there twice this morning, um, in Acts 16, 9, it says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over here to Macedonia and help us. And he said, I don't really hear Macedonia and Philippi. How does that work? Well, Philippi is a district in Macedonia. Actually, it's one of the most northern um, districts there. Some of the translations say the main city, but the Philippi is in, uh, in Macedonia. So with that, hopefully we're ready to jump in uh, with, that, with that little bit of background of where we're at in Philippians. So the first verse, verse 27, I uh, wrote in your notes, if some of you are following along, yeah, you'll be able to track with some of these things. Um, and I actually just made each of the four verses four points. And I felt like um, even if you're not doing well in school, you could probably follow four points, four verses um, in this short time this morning. So the beginning of the verse says, whatever happens, in verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of God. Remember, one of the themes of Philippians is, is having the joy or rejoicing regardless of circumstance, rejoicing in the Lord. And so he's saying, whatever happens, rejoice. And I know a lot of things that are happening in some of your lives, including my parents, I don't look at that like a rejoicing time, to be quite honest. But if I look back at the beginning uh, of Philippians chapter 1, in verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Really, Paul? You're, you're in prison. I'm not sure if we remember that. And, and this is Paul writing this from prison. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul, you're in prison. You can't go anywhere. And this is still coming out of his life. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way. Really? Paul, you're in prison. I'm not sure if we've made that clear, but you're in prison. Uh, you, have a, you have a right to complain. You have a right to be annoyed. You have a right to be angry. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart as a tenderness 
And whether I'm in chains, yep, yep, Paul, you're in chains, defending or confirming the gospel, which he still was doing from prison, all of you share in God's grace with me. So the second part of what I just read, like whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, what does it mean to live worthy? And so as I was studying this specific piece, um, it said living a life that's worthy is like living like a citizen. Well, for me, I was having some trouble. I, got, I come back here, I don't quite fit in. I can't be a citizen of where I actually live. Um, but he gives us some more insight of living a life, living like a citizen of some place. And in Philippians 3.20, he says, <clears throat> um, but our citizenship is in heaven as we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an eternal perspective. The perspective, if you have that eternal perspective, as you walk through life, you don't get lost in what's going on. Because your, your perspective and your citizenship is starting from heaven, looking and keeping things in check with the gospel as you go along. So it's about God's perspective and how we live our life in him. And he continues on in that same verse. I come to see you or, or only hear about you in my absence. I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Now, uh, if you look at verse 26 right before that, he says, so that through my being with you again, like Paul's like, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming, um, so that by being with you again, you're boasting <clears throat> in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. And then he's kind of backtracking like, huh? actually, I don't know if I'm going to make it to you. So whether I do come and see you or I just hear about you in my absence, do this. Stand firm in the one spirit <clears throat> as one for the faith. And the thought of this is being single-minded. Single-minded uh, in the faith, in the gospel, so that we can fight the good fight. So why is this so important? That single-mindedness checks back with that citizenship in heaven. And as you're a citizen in heaven, your perspective to stay single-minded here on earth in the gospel can actually happen. And we're going to talk about how the devil wants to take that away. <clears throat> but this, I actually love this point. So if you're, if you're doing your notes, here's your first thing you can write down. Um, as we're going through this, why is this so important? Why is it so important to be single-minded? Why is it so important that our citizenship is in heaven. Well, Paul was a church planner, right? Paul was a missionary, okay? And uh, someone who went around and he actually founded, planted churches. And here's the key that I want us to know. Every local church, NCF, and any other local church, even in this city, every local church is but one generation from extinction. Now, that may sound extreme, but <clears throat> now I'm talking maybe to you who are young. Um, if you're in your teens, listen to your parents. Not because it's also a biblical mandate, but because if you don't follow Christ, the next generation probably won't have that opportunity. So 
as you listen to your parents, and I say that because I used to sit over here when I was young and my parents sat somewhere else, but as you listen to your parents, you actually are understanding what they know of Scripture. They don't know everything, and I'm sure you've told them that maybe more than once. But as they understand Scripture and they teach it to you, your faith becomes your own. Then the gospel doesn't go extinct. Do you realize if, if you who are older and have kids who are younger and you don't teach them what you know, this church is done? And Paul understood that, saying, this is exactly why I want you to stand firm in the one spirit, striving together in the one spirit. So if you're having trouble with your kids because they're not listening, don't give up. Stand firm, continue. Use the body of Christ to continue. If you're not really excited about your faith in Christ, guess what? It's 14, 15, 16. I love sports a little more than walking with God. So if I could play sports, I'd do that, you know, eight hours a day. I'd do my, my eight minutes a day of being in the gospel um, and, and learning. But I'm glad that my dad and mom continued to push it because that faith became mine. And that's just it. You're one generation away and that faith has to become yours. It can't be your parents. It can't be your grandparents. It's got to be yours. And so I was thinking about this and as I was sending Jace off last year and Tate off this year, like, what, what have I missed as a parent? And I can't even, like, make the whole list. I'm just going to give you one. And I, I did, this is something I missed is I actually didn't do well teaching my kids to repent when they've sinned. I was doing it. And so I remember sitting them down, actually, it was after Jace left, and it was with the kids in the living room, saying, hey, Dad didn't do a good job of this. I do it in my life, and even when no one knows, uh, I'm repenting of, of sin that's in my life because it comes up so often. But I didn't teach you guys really how to do that. So we've talked about it. I don't know if they fully understand it. We'll talk about it again. But that's that consistent, pass it on what you know, because the faith has to become the next generation's faith, not their parents. So let's move on. But every local church is but one generation from extinction. In verse 28, I just titled this, No Need to Fear. It says, Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. <clears throat> now this is, it's a picture of like a horse being spooked. So I know some of you work with horses. Some of you have been around a horse that spooks. Um, when I lived here in Tremont, we had a little miniature horse. Um, and his name was Buddy. He was sometimes sweet. And, and so I remember combing, uh, just kind of grooming Buddy and Jason Tate. They were five and six, if I remember right, at the time. And it was a quiet night, and all of a sudden, that horse spooked two sideways. Unfortunately, not my way. The, the head, knock, uh, the kind of neck, knocked over Tate. Okay, I think Tate started crying. I can't remember. He, just, he wasn't really hurt, but, but Jace was further back, and the horse went right over top of him, and his hoof came down and hit his cheek and just grazed the ground. So he was dirty, he was shaken up, and in an instant, we were somewhere else. We weren't doing what we planned to do. 
we got distracted because God sometimes, often it's Satan who brings those distractions. And so in an instant, we weren't doing what we planned to do. And so I said, Jace got up, he's kind of shaken because he took the brunt of the hit. And I said, all right, now go get the lead rope and bring him back in. And Jace tells me later, like, I don't remember exactly how you said it, Jace, but he's like, I was like, whatever, dude. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Like, I'm shaking in my boots, and you want me to go back after that, you know, out in the open pasture and bring him in? And he did. That's what Satan does. Satan often uses people or distractions that keep us from having that things in our relationship with him. So this morning, again, back in your notes, if you're, if you're like me and you just want to fill in those couple words so you can remember something from the sermon, what is distracting you from being single-minded in Christ? What is distracting you from being single-minded in Christ? Is it COVID? Maybe it's not so bad now. Is it job security? Uh, is it obsession with a diet? Is it don't be angry with me, but is it the Republican agenda? Is it the Democratic agenda? Is it a Netflix series? Like, you can see this is all over the place. It's, maybe if your parents don't know Christ, is it your parents? Is it your friends? Like, these are big things. Netflix series, not so much, but they're for sure a distraction. But the verse says, without being frightened in any way, the, the devil <laughs> or the enemy cannot frighten us. So here's a little secret. And if you don't know it, after today you cannot say that you don't know it. Is in the end, we win. I think most of you know that. In Philippians 1.21, he says, For to me to live is Christ, that's why I'm here, and to die is gain. It's still that eternal perspective. It's that single-mindedness of Christ. So in the end, we win. So if things aren't going well here, we still win in the end, and that eternal perspective can actually help us walk through what we're going through. Let's move on to verse 29, and I've titled this, uh, this point, Uncommon Gifts. So uh, at this point, let me put this over here. So at this point, we've talked about the, the single-mindedness and being able to have joy because uh, single-mindedness actually keeps our heart in check to keep joy as we walk in and through life and the circumstances that we have. Because we win in the end, we actually can have a life that is fearless. No need to fear. And this one I call it uncommon gifts. Um, in verse 29 it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf, or gifted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So I really like the first part of that verse. Like, it's been granted on your behalf to believe in him. And I, so I, I went ahead and just X that out in my Bible, the second part, like, but also to suffer for him. So I'm starting to write my own Bible, and I thought that would be good to throw that part out, um, what it says. And actually, anything I say this morning, I'm hoping you filter it back through Scripture, because I don't have everything right. I'm learning just like you guys are about who Christ is in my life. And so if I'm missing something, take it back to Scripture. Come talk to me about it. 
Um, so the first point for uncommon gifts is believe in him. And it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you've been saved. This is a very popular verse, but a very powerful verse, and that you've been saved in this through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So no one usually argues that first part, and actually uh, the fact that God allows us, calls us to know him, and if you are a Christian here today, that's a huge, huge gift. But the second one is where I want to spend more time now here um, at the end of the sermon, the second half of the sermon. The second one is suffering for him. So if you're writing in your notes and you want to remember at least one word from this one, suffering for him. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Now that's a whole sermon series in itself. We probably don't understand the power of the resurrection um, at all, or at least not to the depth. And what I knew at 15... I knew better at 20, I knew better at 30, I knew better at 40. I'm, I'm not going anymore with that. Um, <clears throat> but the second part says, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Or to take it a step further, or maybe a little clearer, uh, I remember memorizing these verses for one of my mission trips as a teenager. James 1, 2, and 3. Consider pure joy. My brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, whatever, I'm not going to consider pure joy. That is dumb. So I X that one out of my Bible, um, and I just thought, we don't need that verse either. But again, God's not calling us to do what's easy. So James 1, 2, 3, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you have many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Suffering for him is actually for us, for our growth. And, and it's not like he gets some kind of twisted happiness, like, oh, Ed is, he's suffering, this is great. Let's, let's dial it up. It's not how Christ is thinking, but we do live in a broken and sinful world. And God often allows us to go through sufferings or trials, and to be quite honest, maybe longer than we expect or think is necessary. Um, as I was reading and studying for this, I came across a quote from Miles Stanford. It says, suffering takes us in condition where truth has us in position. So you come and you learn from someone like me or one of the other pastors, and you have that positional knowledge, it's called, but if you don't ever have to put it to the test, you don't understand how deep God's love is for you, how much you can have compassion for others. You don't understand a lot of things if you only learn and try to avoid anything that's hard in your life, any type of suffering. Now, <clears throat> I also had a conversation with some people this week, a question like, well, does that mean everything is suffering? And, and so I'm not going to define but hard parameters on this, but I am going to give you just a quick idea of maybe what suffering isn't. Because sometimes here in the Western world, we, we, we view things a little bit differently, and it's actually been a great thing that I've lived outside the country because I see lives that do things a lot different than I did when I grew up. <clears throat> um, so, 
Where in your life are you actually suffering for him? So here's kind of what suffering, I'm going to give you some concrete examples. Here's what suffering is not. So at least you can have these. You are not suffering because you are not comfortable. Because if that's the case, then man, I have been suffering for the last 11 and a half years in Slovakia. I am never comfortable. Uh, maybe you could ask Roger. I bet he never felt 100%. Or Gwen, maybe they never felt 100% comfortable because we always just kind of stand out. Man, we don't quite say the words right. We don't quite understand the nuances of the culture. We're, we're getting better. But I just never feel comfortable. It's not suffering. That's just the Lord maybe giving me a piece of, hey, this world is not our home. Actually helps me understand that verse better as I long and look for heaven. So you're not suffering because you are not comfortable. And that's a hard one for Americans if we would be honest. We like it comfortable. I like it comfortable. Um, maybe closer to home. Don't come and talk to me about this one, though, after the service because I won't engage with this, but uh, maybe, you know, in this last year, wearing a mask or not. Man, I've heard a lot since I've been here. Um, yeah, it may be a right to choose. It may be uncomfortable. But wearing a mask or not is not suffering. Um, and maybe this last one is... Uh, a pastor that I know uh, says all the time in a sermon, choose to sin, choose to suffer. If you're sinning and, and you're suffering because you've sinned, uh, that's just you being stupid. And that's also me being stupid because I don't want you to think I stand up here like I do things well. But that is, that is not suffering. That's just you walking in now, you need to repent. So the question is, where in your life are you actually suffering for him? So I'm just going to give you some places to look at. Um, are you suffering for him maybe in your family? At least in Slovakia, a lot of kids are first generation Christians. They're suffering in their family. Their parents don't like what they're hearing. Uh, at work, I don't know what that means. I just know that's a place where as you stand for Christ, you could be suffering. It may not be. Often we have this mental picture of I've got to be in a prison cell somewhere because I said Jesus is Lord and they took me to prison. But the reality is, is that most of the world, most of the people who are Christians are not in prison. Um, maybe it's a hard circumstance. Maybe it's among friends. So as you look at your life, do you see, you see there's a place to rejoice or be joyous? Remember that citizenship? Remember that eternal perspective? Okay? Is it leading you towards perseverance in your faith in him? If you're having this hardship, this suffering, are you like, well, just the heck with that. I'm done with this. I'm done with God. That's not leading you to be yet stronger in faith. And are you able to rejoice no matter what the circumstance? 
That's a hard one for me. You guys might be better. You guys might be more solid in your faith in Christ, but I have trouble with that one. I had even trouble, and it wasn't even hard perseverance. I, Wendy didn't like to talk to me sometimes when I was so tired of being stuck at home over there. I'm like, hon, how long have I, when was the last time I got out of the house? Sometimes it's five, seven days. And, and I'd start talking, I was negative, and she'd be like, I don't want to be, just don't talk to me about it. So it's not an easy thing that I'm preaching. I'm preaching to myself. So what I'm going to do is give you maybe a couple ideas. There's suffering is a bigger, bigger uh, principle in Scripture that I'm able to cover here. Uh, so I'm probably not going to hit all of them, but I want to throw out just a couple ways that people suffer, then God uses that. So uh, physical suffering. Um, if, maybe if you want to know the depth of physical suffering or someone who understands it really well, uh, talk to Don Blair as he cared for Lori at the end. Talk to my parents. Sorry. It sucks. It's not great. I know it's not a great word. It's not fun. But they probably understand something that you don't. Deeper than you probably realize. Physical suffering is not fun. Maybe I can get myself back together. Give me, give me a second. Um, maybe it's emotional suffering. Again, maybe talk to someone who has, in this church, uh, a special needs kids and the stuff that they go through. They could probably teach you something. They could probably help you understand these verses a lot better than you understand them and a lot better than I can even give to you this morning. The reality is, is suffering for the gospel, being put in prison, that's up there and that's actually one of the hardest. Or if you're tortured for the gospel, but the reality is, is that's not here yet in the States. And it's really okay to, to ask somebody who's in the middle of that because you can actually learn from them. That's part of the body of Christ. Doesn't mean you have to go through it. So, those are some very uncommon gifts, especially the second one, to be granted to suffer for Christ. Like I said, there's more, I could throw in more topics, more areas where suffering happens, but I wanted you to see some that are probably more prevalent in this church than you know. And the last verse and the last point, uh, I said we're in this together. And the verse is, since you are going through the same struggle, you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Actually, wait, Paul, what? When did they go through the same struggle? Well, if you go back to Acts 16, uh, just the one verse, verse 9, um, Paul and Silas were in Philippi. Um, and it said, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit with, uh, by which she predicted the future. And Paul got so hacked off at her. And he finally turns around and says, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. See, that's probably that power that we don't understand. 
that's something, uh, that's a, a whole other sermon series, but Paul simply turns around and says, in the name of Christ Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And of course, you know the rest of the story, if you're familiar with scriptures, he goes in, uh, they take Paul and Silas, they come and put him in prison, and Paul makes a little bit of a stink about how they're going to release him the next morning, but Paul is in prison in Philippi. So the people know that they're not all for the gospel in Philippi. And it says they endured some of the same struggles and persecution as he did when he was in Philippi. The only difference was they're still there. They live there. It's still a hostile environment for these believers. Um, And furthermore, Paul, who's not there, is in prison in another place. Remember? Paul wrote this from prison. All of the words of Scripture today are coming, are penned from prison. Joy and suffering. So if you're following the last point, uh, I, I wrote down, life can be cruel when you follow Christ. We're not promised some great, great time while here on earth, and actually that's what the body of Christ is for. We're in this together, and if Paul can have joy in this, so can we. Uh, in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you. I X that out of my Bible. Uh, when they persecute you and they falsely say all kinds of against you because of me. So I went ahead and scribbled that one out and thought we won't do that in my life. And he continues on. Rejoice and be glad. Okay, this is Jesus speaking. Because great is your reward in heaven. Not because when you suffer, then things will all of a sudden go well. Rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's a privilege to suffer for him. I don't often see it that way. But it's a privilege to suffer for him. And it's that eternal perspective. Right? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Not great is your reward at Pinkies next week, our time. Do we see it like that as we close here? Do we see it like that or, or just wish it to be over with? Can we, can we or do we encourage others um, when we're in the midst of circumstances that aren't great? And I actually like this last piece I'm going to say here is, does your life beg unbelievers to ask why you're different? Does it actually make them want to know what's different from you? Um, From the next, I would say, typical American believer. Man, you handle things different. Man, you've been dealing with physical illness for 10 years now. How do you do it? Because you're not responding how I've seen people in my family respond. And lastly, I don't know if there's people out uh, online watching this. And for those of you here, um, I like to say this real quick. But if you're hearing this sermon and you actually don't believe Christ, come talk to me if you want to know more. Because Christ actually came, died, rose again so that we could actually understand. You can't actually live in joy and have joy in suffering if you don't know Christ. Not consistently.
that is a God-given principle from the Bible that can be lived out in your life. Um, <clears throat> so as we wrap things up, the main point, and you guys already know it, or the truth to life, I think is how you say it here, is it is joy and suffering, um, not joy or suffering. The Christian life is not just joy, but, but joy in the good and when life is bad. Joy no matter what the circumstances is, are. So uh, we want to have single-mindedness in faith because it brings about joy. There's no need to fear because we win in the end. It's not just a slogan. It's not just a phrase. But we need, to get, uh, we need not get distracted from being single-minded in faith in Christ. And if you know Christ, he's granted you to believe, which we all love, and to suffer for him, which we wish he would somehow have scratched that out of our Bibles, but it's not there. That develops perseverance in us. And the last point is we are in this together. So as you suffer, help someone else go through it. Or if you're not suffering, you can help someone. And if you are suffering, Paul was in prison, and he still encouraged the believers. No matter where you're at, joy and suffering and joy in suffering can happen. It's just not our normal thinking because it's Christ's thinking. It's how he has built us to live when we live in close relationship to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, what you've given us today. Um, there's actually a lot more things that suffering uh, in life than, than we probably realize. Um, so Lord, I actually pray that you let us ask, ask um, and ask uh, each other not just how's your day, but ask things like how's your marriage? How's your, how's your walk with Christ? How's your How's your raising of your kids? And when they say great, we say, yeah, but really, Lord, we often are, are fine to be fake and fine to be shallow because it's easier. And for those who've truly suffered, those people are often the ones we, we learn the most from because they've kind of lost that filter to be fake and they want to go deeper. Lord, with this, uh, I ask that you um, take our, let us take our faith seriously. Let us pass it from one generation to the next. And let us keep that eternal perspective as citizens of heaven um, while we're living here on earth. And these things, Father, amen.